I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And, and we're, we're the, the Sirens. Sirens. Today we are discussing part two of the movie Gone with the Wind, which, as you probably know, is a 1939 American film that is known for its epic, historic, romantic proportions. Um, it was adapted from Margaret Mitchell's novel um, by the same name, and it was produced by David o. David O. Selznick. It stars Vivian Lee, Clark Gable, Leslie Howard, Olivia de Havilland, Anne Rutherford, Harry Davenport, and um, several other people make appearances, including um, Hattie McDaniel, who became the first African-American to win an Academy Award for the role that she played. And you can learn more about the an overview of this film by listening to part one. Uh, and <laughs> learn more about Hattie McDaniel. Um, we discussed her background in part one and uh, Leslie Howard's as well. Yes. They both lived um, dramatic lives. <laughs> they did. Yeah. As mo- most of the actors we discussed do. <laughs> I know. Not all of them die of drug overdoses, but some of them do. These did not. Um, (laughs) These ones did not, so if you don't want a downer, this is probably, like, a good episode to listen to. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I guess this week we're just going to get right into discussion of part two. Yes. And the first part of the movie is the pre-Civil War and then covers the Civil War. Honestly, like, when I think about this movie, most of the time I'm thinking about part one. Mm -hmm. I think that's what a lot of people think about part two is almost like a totally different movie. And it's much more about reconstruction, uh, Scarlet's marriages and survival after the war. I mean, I, my, my general conclusion about part two is that it's, it's a movie about an abusive marriage. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And I was completely shocked rewatching it this time at how terrible the relationship between Rhett and Scarlett is and also the fact that as a child I thought it was incredibly romantic and how disturbing that is. I never watched it as ex- as a, exactly as a child. I mean, I was a teenager by by the time I watched it, but I still was surprised at how yeah, how abusive the relationship is. Although I was also frankly surprised at the amount of agency for lack of a better word, that Scarlett had. Because it's in this part of the movie that she sort of takes charge of the household, you know, of Mm -hmm. her sisters and her her father, who's sort of lost his mind after his wife dies. So she's sort of taking control a little bit. And I was, I had forgotten about that from the first time that I had seen the movie. In the rest of her life, she's like unbought and unbossed. And then Rhett Butler, anytime Rhett Butler comes to town, she's, you know putty in his hands or whatever (laughs) yeah i mean she basically becomes the head of the family because no one else can cope uh in the aftermath of the war when you know they no longer have all of these slaves to provide free labor for their plantation and they start having to do things for themselves and their way of life is just completely obliterated and she's the only one who steps up who takes care of the family make sure they have food make sure they have money so there is um a, like you could have a very feminist reading on scarlet 
except sort of undermining that is that she's just like a horrible person. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that when like the going get tough get gets tough after after Ashley comes back, she just goes to Ashley at every moment. And I wrote in my notes that Ashley at some point at the very beginning of the second part says says to her that Scarlet doesn't know the meaning of fear, which is so so like demeaning. And we know yeah. this as the as the audience because we've seen like all the crap that she's had to go through to get to you know get you know get her family to survive, including shooting a Yankee who comes in to pillage the house. Oh yeah, I mean that scene I found kind of disturbing, especially the way Melanie acts about mm-hmm. it. It's really weird. Like she's sort of bloodthirsty, and she's like, "You shot him. I'm glad you did it." Like yeah. I'm like, "What?" Yeah. Because she kind of comes across as a more gentle character, Mm -hmm. but when it comes down to it, she, like, supports that murder and the the detail shot of them, like, dragging the body away and leaving a trail of blood, that was just very dark. Yeah. I think there is a way that you could read Melanie as an alternative version of a strong woman and mm-hmm. it becomes more apparent in this part two where she rises to the occasion more but in a mm-hmm. different way than scarlet like she sort of maintains her own moral code mm-hmm. but oh, looks yeah. out for people and protects them um, in a different way yeah and in a different way it seems than like what the society around her dictates because she is uh i forget if it's in this part or in the first part where she accepts the money from uh rhett butler's prostitute for the hospital yeah Mm -hmm. um you know and the prostitute is like you know you don't you don't have to you don't ever have to acknowledge me in public and melanie is like of course i will (laughs) she also subscribes to their societal norms like like, when people do something outside of the law, she's cool with, like, killing the Yankees. She was cool with it when they go, when all the husbands go to the, like, KKK meeting where they go after uh, the people who attacked Scarlet. She's cool with that. So it's like, well, I'm all right with people killing people as long as it is part of our societal norm. Right. But I'm also a good Christian. Right. Yeah, she's such a, like, complex character in that way, that she seems meek, but then also is like, you know, we have to do what we have to do. Um, And then Scarlet is just totally the other direction. I mean, she does take care of her family, but it's clear that she views it as a burden. And when push comes to shove, she's mostly just out for herself. Like, she steals her sister's bow for his money, even though it, like, destroys her sister. Oh, right. She hits her sister when her sister complains about picking cotton. Oh, my God, there's so much hitting and slapping in this movie. I'm <laughs> Yeah. There's a lot of domestic violence in this movie of varying sorts. She, you know, Scarlet basically just wants to have a lot of money in, mm-hmm. um, in an ostentatious way. Like, it, it goes above security, too. I mean, like, when she ends up marrying Rhett, she's just... Like, I want to have the most vulgar, garish mansion and clothes possible. Yeah. Because I, you know, I want people to know that I'm wealthy and doing well. She marries her sister's beau, and and she marries him partly because they don't have any money to pay the taxes on Tara, and she goes to Rhett and asks Rhett for the money, but Rhett is in jail and gambling with his jailers, like, literally gambling with them, 
And then she happens to see her sister's beau in Atlanta, and he's running in a hardware store. And because Atlanta is getting rebuilt after Sherman's march to the sea, he's doing really well. So then she breaks up their, like, engagement, marries this guy, and then doesn't think that he's doing well enough and starts this lumber business on the side. And then part of that is leasing convicts to do free labor. The only um, stipulation on that contract is that, you know, she can't intervene if ever the overseer abuses the workers or whatever. And at some point, like, there's this part where Ashley, like, sort of objects to hiring the, like, the least convicts, and Scarlett's like, well, it's no different than owning slaves, but, like, not in a bad way. (laughs) She, I mean, I thought that that was ludicrous also on the part of Ashley, because he's like, oh, this is terrible the way we're treating these convicts. But they had, and he was like, oh, I would have released them later or whatever, and then we're supposed to think he's a good guy. No. I Can we just talk about Ashley for, like, an extended period of time? Yes, <laughs> because... but only if I can have, like, a vomit bag afterwards, because he's such a oh, piece of crap. <laughs> I mean, people really like him. There's, there's a, like, contingent of people who think he is a wonderful romantic hero. Um, well, I feel and... justified in thinking that he is not a romantic hero, and because he, Leslie Howard, you know, the actor who played him, you know, thought it was ridiculous, so... He can adapt to the new way of life, isn't particularly helpful to anyone, and basically just becomes another mouth to feed when he comes back. Whereas before, you're kind of questioning, like, oh, is Scarlet just, like, out of her mind that she thinks Ashley might like her? In this part, too, it's explicit that, like, he does lead her on. He kisses her. He says um, he's only staying with Melanie and their son out of obligation, basically, but he's not strong enough to follow his true feelings which i thought was terrible and at that point i was like scarlet can you just be done with this guy because he is dead weight and you you can just move on yeah just like Um, yeah pull yourself together lady and move on and but like almost to the very end she still kind of seems interested in him and i don't understand why like she insisted on bringing him into the business when he wasn't interested in it and they had a good opportunity to go north and it's like why don't you just let this person go? They are not good for you. I I just found him incredibly unappealing. Yeah. Well, and I guess she doesn't let him go because because he needs a job and he's only leaving because he needs a job. And so she says, "Well, he, you know, if I create a job for him, he won't leave." Someone needed to pull her aside. Mammy needed, I mean, in an alternate universe, Mammy <laughs> would have had more power and would have been, and, you know, because she's the only one saying, you gotta let this guy go. He's married to somebody else. Well, and the job opportunity he was supposed to have in New York was some kind of a banking gig, which probably would have been much better for someone like him who, you know, was a gentleman who had basically never worked a day in his life. And he could have just, like, pushed papers around and, like, a, a good face for the organization whereas like him working with the mill just was not a good fit and my sense was that he actually was not very good with the numbers at the mill right that some like and he openly and freely admitted that he just like he wasn't sure what was happening with the books um even though that was his responsibility so it is kind of funny to me that he was supposed to go have a banking job even though he was not very good (laughs) so i mean there's him as like the one 
romantic lead and then Rhett on the other end who is just hot like it's much more apparent in this part too but like basically every scene he has with Scarlet he is being like manipulative or emotionally or physically abusive I don't think they have almost any like positive scenes together no I mean I guess there are nope I was gonna say there are a couple of scenes when Bonnie is a baby but Mammy says that that Scarlet wanted to name the baby, you know, these two two names, and then, you know, here comes Rhett, and he wants to name her Bonnie Blue after the Confederate flag. She's named after the Confederate mm-hmm. flag, so she doesn't even get a say into her own kid's name, which maybe was common then. Well, how about when she first goes to him when she needs the money, and he allows herself to allows her to prostitute herself knowing what she's doing and that he's going to reject her and then makes her feel um ashamed about it yeah yeah how about that (laughs) oh my god (laughs) yeah he was and i mean it's hard because clark gable is a very appealing actor and like he's very physically attractive he's got great charisma so you could see why people like him but in this movie he breaks a door down he's he throws a glass um, he basically says he's going to tear, he says, actually says he's going to tear Scarlet apart. Yeah. Um. Well, and then he basically kidnaps their daughter and takes her, you know, to England against, you know, Scarlet and Bonnie's will, basically. And it's like, you're coming with me and we're not staying here. It's not great. <laughs> no, it wasn't. And also, uh. The way he spoiled their daughter and everything seemed like that whole psychological aspect was really messed up. Like, mm-hmm. I'm in love with their mother, but she doesn't like me, so I'm going to put all that love into my daughter who looks just like her. And I was like, uh, this is a little bit icky. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> you know? not great. And she would have been so spoiled if she had lived. He said, like, he never wanted to say no to her. Yeah, that's terrifying. Uh. <laughs> um. And then she dies, which is not great. Yeah, that was... I thought that was really sad, actually. That part of the movie, I think, holds up. This is getting ahead of us a little bit, but, um, like, the height of tragedy that she has... She loses the baby that she... Because Rhett pushes her down the stairs, basically. So she Mm -hmm. loses the, the pregnancy, and then, you know, days later, her kid dies, and then... You know, days later, her this lifelong friend of hers dies. It's like three tragedies right in a row. It's horrible. The scene where he actually proposes to her, if you look in the background of that scene, the house is still set up as a wake oh, for, right. for her husband. Right. Like, there's chairs everywhere. <laughs> so that, I mean, she really had a lot of death, but like both of her previous husbands, she viewed as completely expendable. There was no real grief for them. Yeah. She just wanted to move on from having to like, having the obligations of, of grieving. Just so horrible. (laughs) Can you imagine if you were married to someone who, when you died, they were like, well, you know, I'm really tired of wearing black. (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting because in the book, I think I might have mentioned this in part one, but that she, Scarlet, had a child by both of those husbands. So there would have been like a physical reminder of them in her life. But, you know, in the movie that doesn't exist. But I think that would have made it um, even more like sad to see her just totally not caring about the husbands. And then there's like kids around who are like, what about my dad? Yeah. 
Oh my god. Do you want to talk about the racial politics in this part? Yes, I do. I was just going to say, do we want to talk about, talk about her getting attacked? <laughs> yeah, so it was. it really seemed like the classic horrible narrative of the white woman being attacked by the black man and then the the white men having to go out and avenge it and in the book it was much more explicit like explicitly sympathetic to that group as the KKK which they toned down a bit in the movie but it's still there I mean I didn't immediately recognize that they were you know that it was a KKK that they were going out as members of the KKK to clean out the forest I mean I, I maybe that's just because I don't and <laughs> I didn't, it didn't, like, I just didn't make that connection. But, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Of course they would go as members of the KKK to go clean out the black people in the forest. There's a lot in this part in general about scenes where they show as, like, extras black people in Atlanta doing well and show that with, like, a lens of horror of, like, look at these people going around in fancy clothes or, like, involved in leadership and how horrifying this is because that's not where they're supposed to be. Yeah. Well, and it's definitely paired, too, with these, you know, horrible Yankees who are, you know, who have come down from the North and are sort of taking over the South. You know, and so, you know, these these two, two things that are not the way that they're supposed to be, these, you know, Yankees down South and these you know, black people who are not playing the roles that they're supposed to play in the South. Yeah, and the only black characters who are depicted in a positive light are the formerly enslaved who kind of remain behind and help them. Yeah. Like Mammy, and there's another character at Tara, and then um, Big Sam, who doesn't remain behind, but is helpful to Scarlet. Right, he's the one who actually rescues her, right, when she's attacked? Yeah, so those are the only characters, and they're supposed, I mean, basically they're not allowed to be enraged or, like, in opposition to the people who enslaved them, and also be positive characters in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. What did you think of the Mammy character overall? In some ways, I think that she was like realistically portrayed in in that you know it must have been really difficult for a character like that who would have been in a difficult position she was with Scarlett's family long enough that she you know had was there when Scarlett was born and then was there when her you know child was born and you know at this time of huge upheaval where like like everything around them is changing and there are technically more possibilities open to her but there's certainly i think more turmoil in and more nuance sharecropping and you know the carpetbaggers and all of that than what was shown in the movie you know and and probably like i can't even I just cannot imagine what it must have been like for someone like her at that the time who must have had such a like difficult first part of her life and who knows what like her life was like before she ended up at Tara but then yeah what did you think and about having it? to raise like all these other people's children yeah. but I mean and she is one of the wisest characters in the movie oh, I, yeah absolutely I mean I think that like She's the best person. (laughs) 
I will say again that this was very hard to watch this time. Yeah. Um, we didn't even get to the weird sexuality of the movie between Scarlet and Rhett. The marital rape that happens that's support, supposed to be sort of implied that Scarlet liked it so it wasn't really rape. I don't right. know. Right. <laughs> um, right. She wakes up and she's totally like, God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they talk, like, somewhat... I mean, I, I wouldn't say explicitly, but it does talk about sex a little bit more openly than a lot of other movies from this period that we've watched. Like, where, yeah. you know, after they have the baby, Scarlet doesn't like what it's doing to her body and decides she doesn't want to have sex anymore. And Yeah, because she no longer has an 18-and-a-half-inch waist, which, you know... Yeah, which I'm... I'm pretty sure in the book it was a 17-inch waist, which is even crazier. Yeah, I mean, I think I had, like, a 17-inch waist when I was about six years old, so... So, and then that's... I mean, basically, it's, like, depicted in the movie is in, like, the fact that she doesn't want to have sex with him, for whatever the reason is, is terrible. And that, you know, the then when he says, like, no, you're having sex with me, whether you like it or not, that is shown as, like, a positive thing. And, um... But he's sort of saying that, I mean, she says that she doesn't want to have sex with him partly because she doesn't like what it's doing her bo- with her, to her body, but also partly because she knows she's still in love with Ashley. And he finds when he, like, she, like, says that, that she doesn't want to have sex with him anymore. I mean, not in so many words. He isn't that when he like he discovers that she has a picture of Ashley in her like compact or whatever the post yeah or and then so he realizes that that she still loves Ashley and then she's like oh no or I mean he's like oh no this is not what we're doing see my take on that was different in that I thought by that point in the movie she no longer cared for Ashley that way and that she really was just concerned about her looks but that Rhett misinterpreted it because he was so jealous yeah but it is like later in just like not much not much later in the film that they actually Ashley is at the lumberyard and Scarlett you know shows up for some unknown reason I'm not sure why she goes to the lumberyard and they're like conversing about you know however things are going and then they end up like holding each other in the back room of the lumberyard and then these two other characters see and go and tell tell everyone and then Rhett makes Scarlett go to Ashley's birthday party at Melanie's house yeah entirely so that it doesn't ruin their kids chances well i i thought that was the most disturbing like marital abuse oh my god scene yes of the whole thing because he that to i thought that was super emotionally abusive he's like yeah everyone thinks you're a whore and you are a whore so you're gonna put on this like prostitute dress and you're gonna go to this party and I'm forcing you to, like there's like a physical threat sort of implied. Yeah. I'm forcing you and, and I'm gonna walk all the way there with you or get all the way there with you and then I'm gonna make you go in alone. Ah. Uh, I just I thought that was so horrible. Yeah. But of course then Melanie is so gracious to her. I was kind of amazed that Melanie never actually thought anything happened between them. <laughs> because Yeah. Or it was either, like, she didn't, she believed that they were both, like, too good to do that, or else she's just kind of like, well, I don't care even if it did happen. They're still my people, and I love them. Yeah. It's all in the family. It's fine. 
Oh, yeah, their their whole society is so incestuous. It's like the same ten people at everything. <laughs> and it's after that party that she like Scarlet comes home, goes to bed or whatever, gets back up again, and then that Rhett drunkenly makes Scarlet listen to him as he goes on and on and on, and then he threatens to bash her brain in, and then carries her upstairs to like have some marital rape, which is so great. <sighs> God. And then oh in the morning, she's thrilled. Because that's what women really want. Yeah. I think that. I mean, it's like horrifying. I don't think a lot of people view it through a very critical lens either. It's just no. kind of like, this is romantic. Because, I mean, that's how it was presented to me as a child. Like, this is one of the greatest romances of all time. Do you think more people are critical of the book than they are of the movie? Well, a lot of what I've read about the movie now, because, like, after the confederate monument incidents that some theaters were choosing not to screen this anymore uh-huh. oh, right. what i read is that like a lot of film historians are saying we're not saying you should take this out of the canon necessarily or like stop showing it but if like you should show it with context mm-hmm. and like encourage people to look at it critically and use it as a way to like discuss history or like why it was being, you know, the South was being depicted this way. And, you know, that is not typically... I mean, I went to see this in the theater when I was 12, and whenever they reissued it, and believe me, there was no discussion. It was just like, this is a great film. Everyone go see it. Yeah, go see this classic. Yeah. A couple, like, really broad strokes things I wanted to talk about. the, The score for this movie is beautiful. Yes, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, because there were moments where I was, like, same guy who did Casablanca. Oh, I don't think I knew that, but that makes sense. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I thought the music was gorgeous. What was the other broad strokes thing? Oh, I just thought it was the production value for the time was really impressive. Yeah. They really went big on everything and like the sets and like the extras the costumes we have to get into the costumes like in a minute because they were wonderful the like the thing that i think also makes people keep coming back to this movie is it's just it's a very impressive movie Mm -hmm. to watch oh yeah it's so epic (laughs) it's like epic in every every meaning of the word yeah definitely oh beautiful girl what a gorgeous creature beautiful girl let me call a preacher what can i do but give my heart to you do you want to talk about the costumes yes i do want to talk about the costumes but i think you should go first i feel like we can't go without discussing the curtain dress yes i think we have to start there and i hope we remember that when we when we share this episode that we share a link to the video of Carol Burnett's parody of the curtain dress. Do you know that? Oh yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, it's hilarious. They're so like interlinked at this point. <laughs> but in the in that skit Carol Burnett wears the curtain dress but it like still has the curtain yes. rod in it. Again. And it's fabulous and then instead of Rhett Butler, he's rat. <laughs> I think we need to rewatch the video. <laughs> yeah, we do need to. I mean, and this includes part one, too. I mean, the I think her opening scene costume was really good, too, where she's 
like on the porch and talking to the twins and she has that like beautiful white and green gown and the wide brimmed hat on. Yeah, throughout those dresses that she wears in like seemingly normal situations, um, they were just all so stunning, you know, and partly because of, you know, the hat pairings. (laughs) Yeah, the hats were fabulous. She looked really good in the dress that was supposed to be, like, the whore dress, too. Like, the red one. Yes. With the really low-cut bodice. Yeah. Did you like the scenes, um, I think it was when they were getting ready to go to the barbecue, where Mammy was trying to get her dressed, and, you know, she kept, like, pulling her, her, the shoulder straps down off of her shoulders, and Mammy kept pulling them back up again to be like, you know, come on. Yeah. I did like that. It reminded me of Catholic school uniforms and being told that your skirt had to be longer and stuff. Yeah. I could relate a little (laughs) to Scarlett on that. Like when you're that age. Yeah. Wanting to be a little bit more than, or have a little bit more, show off a little bit more. Yeah. Well, and she, in that beginning, I think she's 15. So it's kind of like the age when you're pushing boundaries. Yeah, trying to act like an adult. What is it that Mammy says in the beginning? She says if you're old enough to go to a, you know, go to a barbecue or go to a party, then you're old enough to act like a lady. Just like, yes, like, that that is a zinger. Yeah, like she proof that she is Mammy the wisest. Sometimes she hits the nail on the head a lot. Yeah, <laughs> so great. Um, also, I the. Um, Clark Gable's costumes were really nice. I mean, you, it, I liked that they depicted his character as caring about fashion mm-hmm. in this. Like, as a man who cares about fashion. And I thought it was really cute in the scene where he got the hat for Scarlet. And oh, yeah. And she put it on upside down on purpose. Yeah. And then he has to go fix it for her. <laughs> yeah. I thought that... I mean, it was, it was a good tactic on Scarlet's part. But also, it, I just... It's rare in a movie where the men are supposed to be super masculine, that a man would admit that, like, yes, I do care about women's fashion, and I keep up with it, and I'm going to notice. Not that, I mean, he did put pressure on her to be fashionable, but he also noticed what she was wearing and commented on Yeah, it. and how it was supposed to be. <laughs> oh, Rhett. Oh. We're, we're trying so hard to find something redeeming about you. There's nothing, unfortunately. <laughs> we all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. Do you want to talk about social justice in this movie? <laughs> We've sort of um, talked about it over the course of this, like both both the last episode and this episode. Is there, is there anything anything that we haven't addressed yet when it comes to social justice? Well, the one thing I could think of is in the in part one early on, Scarlett's mother. Uh, is coming back late at night from, like, helping to deliver a baby. Oh, right. Um, That was their overseer's illegitimate child. And she does chastise him for not acknowledging the child. I mean, of course, later on in the movie, he ends up marrying that person. I mean, I'm like, not that that's so great, but it like, I think it was trying to show that she was helping people in the community. Yeah. Well, and even if she was wanted to like shame him, she was still taking care of, you know, the, the mother and the baby. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to find true social justice moments because everything is so tainted by the like weird moral code of the Southern gentry. Right. (laughs) Including slavery. (laughs) Which yes. which the antithesis of is, social justice. Yes. I think this isn't particularly social justice, but 
the way Melanie acted on her deathbed of still, she was just constantly trying to reconcile people in this whole movie. Yeah. And forgive people. And on her deathbed, she tried to get Rhett and Scarlet back together. And she also, um, to Rhett, after he lost her his daughter and was, like, inconsolable. Yeah, went out of her way to be kind to, to people who clearly were not as not as good as she was. Yeah, whereas Scarlet was mostly, like, calling people white trash and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was a part of me that... This is this may be terrible, but I I loved that that phrase. I, I loved the use of that phrase in a movie that was like made in 1939 and it was clearly set in you know in the 1860s and 1870s. It just I mean because that's a phrase that like I knew as, you know throughout my childhood and here we still here now. And it just reminded me that like yes, the Civil War is it wasn't that long ago. We still use similar language. Oh yeah. In ways that we don't always Yeah, recognize. I don't I definitely heard that when I was growing up too and I don't think it conjured up a certain idea, but I I don't think I understood when I was a kid that just the fact basically it was a racially tinged term, which should have been obvious to me as a little kid, but I was just kind of like Yeah. You don't know when you're a kid. Oh, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was interesting to see that. It's And, and all those people still only hung, it, it, this whole movie, even after the South Falls, it's just like, stick to your own kind. Yeah. There's only like f- five families here that we can talk to. Yeah. Because everyone else is white trash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the Wilkes always marry their cousins. That's right. Which isn't white trashy at all. No, not at all. That That's not like mountain people. No. It's it's very different. They have money, so it's fine. <laughs> and it's good money. Um. I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again. I don't know if I can even, like, say this with a straight face, but <laughs> do you think this movie passes the Bechdel test? Um, I do not. Are you sure? Because, you know, you know I think there's so many scenes. <laughs> the, the, maybe the better question is... Is there, is there, are there five whole minutes in this movie where Scarlett is not either talking about a man, talking to a man, trying to get a man, or scheming to lure the man that she thinks she should have but really should not have? Like, are there five whole minutes in this movie where one of those things is not happening? I don't know. I mean, some of the time she's doing one of those things for other reasons. <laughs> Not because she's actually wanting the person, but yeah, I mean, the only scenes I can really think of are sort of the the scenes where she's at Tara at the end of the war and and just after the war where she's just leading the family and Ashley's not back yet. Yeah. Okay. So maybe there are five whole minutes in this movie. But only five. I mean, it, for her being such a, like, quote-unquote strong woman who gets what she wants, this is not a feminist movie. No. <laughs> it's the exact opposite of a feminist movie. Well, so what would your overall rating be? Um, I mean, it's hard, right? I mean, I feel like I would rate the production quality and the, like, the music, Technicolor... And the, those soaring epic scenes that we talked about, I think mostly in the the first part, those you know were all really effective. And so I would give those scenes like 
a four. But the gender politics and the racial politics, which, you know, are probably historically accurate, but are, they don't pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> are, you know, that was hard no. to watch. That would give it maybe like a two. So maybe if I average those two out, maybe one averaging those <laughs> out, then that's like, you know, a two and a half, which is I think what I gave yeah. the blob. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so right, right um, on par with the blob. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to say because from, like, a film history perspective, this is obviously a very important movie. But, from, I mean, then like you said, like, the score, the production, the costumes were amazing. The acting was really good in this movie. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it is a, for the most part, like, a, a well-done movie. But I did not find it enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Yeah, it's a difficult so... movie to watch. And also it is four freaking hours long. So... Yeah, it is. I mean, that part two was really hard to get through with that, like, like super disturbing marriage and, like, the KKK stuff. And uh, and then yeah. the kids so, die. It's fine. <laughs> yes. So, um, I, yeah, I think you're about right. I would say, like, a 2.5 because it's an important movie, but it's not like, like, I mean, I don't even know if I will probably ever watch this movie again. <laughs> it's all right. There are hundreds and hundreds of movies we have not seen yet. Yes, that's true. So so what's the next movie in our lineup? I think our next movie is The Women. Which was a listener request. That's right. Chosen by popular demand. May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter at The Screen Sirens. And leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.